Welcome to episode 300 of the Zen Founder Podcast. To celebrate this benchmark with me, Rob has come back onto the podcast and we talk about all that it has meant to do this project for the last however many years. We are building on the momentum of this 300th episode for a big year. A few highlights that may interest you, I'm putting together a circus show in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month in May. So if you are near the Twin Cities and want to see an amazing show that's going to have a lot of beauty and power and nuance, mark May 12th on your calendar and uh, stay tuned for more details. I am also launching a book in July. So lots of opportunity to support the mental health advocacy work that uh, we've been doing at Zen Founder. Also have on the schedule a small couples retreat in December in Kauai at a beautiful all-inclusive property and more of a mastermindy retreat in Destin, Florida next January. For all of those details, please sign up for the mailing list on our website, zenfounder.com. You can also find information at sherrywalling.com. So after several years of buckling down and surviving, we are going to go big in how we're changing the conversation about mental health among entrepreneurs, their families, and their teams. Thanks for being on the journey with us. And here is episode number 300. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So we were sitting down to record episode 300 of Zen Founder. We're in Squadcast. Sherry is moments away from clicking record, and I had this brilliant idea. Let's make it really complicated and do it live as a Twitter space and then also record it and put it as the podcast episode next week. So that's that's where we it's, are. It's kind of a role reversal because usually I am the one who makes things complicated. This is and true. you are the one who does things in a very simple, like streamlined way. Thought out way. Like, well, that wasn't the plan, so I think things will break if we try that. That's normally my, my attitude about it. Right. But here we are. So, 300 episodes of a podcast. Congratulations. That's, do, I get, do I get a party? That's or a lot. A pinata or something? You definitely get a podcast episode with me in it. And then maybe that's, oh, a, that's wow. reward enough. What a lucky girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. I was trying to look back. I don't know when the first episode of this show came out. I think it was 2014, but it might be 2013. And I know the 200th episode came out January of 2019. So you're talking three years ago. So you've really been at this a long time. How do you feel about it? About having been doing this for a long time? Yeah. I'm at a phase of my life where I feel like I've been doing a lot of things for a long time. That's the part, that's the gift of being 40 something is like, oh, I've been doing this a while. It's not perfect. I don't have everything figured out, but I, I have been doing it a while. 300 episodes. It's a lot. It is something that feels really a gift to have as part of, have part of my professional life for a long time. 
And I think the fact that I have continued to do it means that there are people that are listening to it who have made it part of their lives. And, you know, 300 episodes in, I don't neglect that that is a tremendous gift and a privilege to be afforded an opportunity to have an interaction with people around a topic that I think is really important, which is, of course, the mental health and well-being of entrepreneurs. Right. And you were the first person who I knew who started talking about this. I I guess, you know, there were people, what's his name? Uh, Colonna? Jerry Colonna was around, but I had never heard of him at that time. And you did your talk at MicroConf in 2013, I believe. It was an attendee talk, and then you did a full talk 2014. And people's minds were blown that this could be talked about in public. It started destigmatizing. I think it's way, there's way less stigma around it than there was before you started talking about it. Yeah, I can't claim any ownership of that change, but I'm so glad that it is changing. The sense that people are now much more willing. I mean, I talk to VC firms who are really interested in having a mental health component to their training and support that they offer the companies that they're funding. And I think it's now become much, much more of the norm. I think it's a little late to the game. We were probably better about talking about mental health in physicians or mental health in military folk, in other people who had high intensity jobs. But I'm glad that entrepreneurs are finally willing to engage the conversation around why their their mental game, their mental well-being, their emotional health, their interpersonal relationship capacity, and of course, their ability to focus and be productive. That's all part of a mental health conversation, and it's all absolutely essential to the success of any enterprise. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the fact that there are 300 of these episodes out there is is a benefit, you know, a net win for the world and, and the startup space specifically. You had some thoughts around which types of conversations are most interesting is, I think, the sentence that you used. And it was around, it was looking at these dichotomies of like general versus specific Opinion versus nuance, thought leadership versus consulting. What what was in mind there? What was in your mind there when you wrote that down? Well, we were having a conversation, you and I, about sort of the combination of different components that go into my professional life. And I spend a lot of time doing one-on-one consulting with entrepreneurs and founders. And I do it, spend a chunk of time working with leadership teams and a little bit of time working with couples. And then I do the podcast and do some more public facing, you know, writing kinds of, I guess, thought leadership or educational kinds of activities. And we were talking about, you know, will I ever stop doing consulting work or will I ever, you know, stop trading hours for dollars as folks like to say when they want people to productize and try different models. And I, I keep coming back to the fact that I really love having the balance of the deep dive, that really individually focused, one-on-one, thoughtful understanding of someone's individual psychology and how it shapes how they show up as a leader, how it shapes how they show up in their business. I think that's a really satisfying and meaningful activity for me. And even though it's not scalable and <laughs> all of those things, I I never want to stop having those conversations, or at least at this point in my life, I can't foresee a time when I will stop doing at least some consulting. But then on the other side is this more general conversation that happens in, in the podcast. Right, where it's not specific one-on-one consulting. I mean, this, yeah, it's thought leadership. It tends to be a little more general in general, right? And consulting will tend to be more specific, just like 
when I record an episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, it almost by definition is a little bit general versus when I'm advising a startup founder, which is the equivalent of your consulting. It is very specific to their use case, you know, or, or what they're going through. I think for you, my guess is over time, you might do less consulting if you want to. That's the thing, right? Is it's you're, you're at the place where you're able to decide how you want to play this. I've been there for a long time that I get, I get to choose. Right. And then even like writing, like writing books is also ties into this, right? Of like, would you just want to be a podcaster, an Instagram personality? Probably not. And would you just want to write books? I don't think so. I think you would get bored. And if you only did consulting, I think you would get bored. Like your personality needs that variety. Yeah. I also think it goes back to my early training as a psychologist. I have this very unusual combination of training as a clinical community psychologist. So a clinical psychologist, sort of what people think of as your default psychologist, right? Trained in therapy, trained in assessment, trained in the ability to make a diagnosis and make a treatment plan and help people get better. And it's a really, really, uh, you know, interesting and meaningful way to interact with folk. But there's this other way of thinking about psychology, which is community psychology, which is thinking not only about the well-being of the one individual in front of you or the family in front of you, but how do we apply what we know about mental wellness and mental well-being to a whole group of people? And clinical community psychology is the combination of those two. So how do I take what I know about how to prevent burnout in one individual and apply that learning to a larger group? So I think the balance of both is essential. And it's, a, it's sort of a deep part of my DNA as a professional that having the one-to-many range feels really important in terms of taking what wisdom we know and helping a lot of people at once. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's something I've actually been thinking about a lot. And I think maybe that's why we had this conversation the other day is at times I have the feeling when I am, how do I say this? When I'm having one-on-one conversations with a founder, sometimes I think, I wish more people could hear this because this advice applies to a lot of people. And almost like, is my time, sometimes my time is best suited to be one-on-one with the founder, I will admit. But I'd say at least half the time, it should probably be recorded and put out as a podcast, you know, or put out as some some one-to-many thing, which I think is what you're talking about. There are only so many hours in a day. There are only so many years left in any of our lives. And I think to myself, how can I maximize the kind of the impact or the value that I'm having? And I think that, you know, I, I don't know if you think about it that way. I do think about it that way. And I, I would say there, I have sort of two counterpoints for that perspective. You know, if I could maybe overgeneralize your perspective, it's the sense in which you're you speaking to many people at once is a, is a better use of your time. And I think that is true, but I will also say that I think, number one, the people that I spend a lot of one-on-one time with are people of pretty significant influence. And so I'm having a one-on-one conversation that there are two people in that Zoom call, but there might be 300 people in the company. And so supporting the the thoughtful well-being of that one individual I know has a ripple effect into how they show up in their business and in their family. So even though it's one-to-one in the conversation, I think it is like one-to-many. It's just a, a little bit more diffuse. The other thing that I will say, and I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, 
It is the specific deep dive where I get lots of my insights. It's the case study. It's where I'm turning something around in my mind and really thinking with someone about how to solve a very specific problem. That's the learning laboratory that gives me any kind of valuable insight into what I might say in a podcast episode or what I might say from a stage. So without the one-on-one, I think I would just be sort of operating in the vacuum of my own head and I can read books and I can interact with founders in lots of ways, but it's the deep dive that is where my wisdom is grown. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I also have, like you don't do question and answer episodes of this show. We, maybe we should. I think, we have we done like one in the, in the history of it, but that allows me to do at least some, it's, it's in between general and specific. I don't have the direct one-on-one interaction, but I do have one person's questions or thoughts and I'm able to think through. And similar with Tiny Seed Office Hours where I'm able to advise multiple founders at once. So I have kind of an in-between, but I 100% agree with you that having a 45-minute conversation and digging deep into an issue and then having a similar conversation a month later with a different founder and thinking through it again starts to solidify a framework, right? Or a mental pattern that I can then use to match or even a kind of my position will solidify on an issue, you know, on a mar- marketing strategies today or what should I try next? Like you have that conversation over and over and pretty soon you have kind of a mental framework that, that I'm a- then able to share with others. So to your point, having one-on-one is really impactful. And then... The absence of that, it, it's just kind of theoretical. I mean, f- for me, I haven't started and grown and sold my own business. I've walked through it with you, but I haven't done it myself. And without having done the learning lab of that experience, the next best thing is to walk through it with a bunch of people over years. So I have a certain role in that process, but I've seen the process over and over and over. And without doing that, I I think everything I would have to offer would be hypothetical and somewhat academic. Yeah. And I remember that early on when you spoke the first time at MicroConf, it was very much about mental health. And I think you had limited experience because it was, you had watched me and I think, you know, we knew a couple other founders or whatever, but like you had never attended a MicroConf and you weren't doing actively, you know, entrepreneurial consulting. And I remember how quickly your thinking started to I say adapt and, and solidify as you interacted with more founders. And then as you started doing the the founder consulting in, I believe it was 2014-ish. And then how even that's changed, right? Or early on, it was solopreneurs. And then pretty quickly, it became senior leadership teams at multi-million dollar, you know, if not tens of millions in revenue startups and, you know, entrepreneurial journeys. Well, some of those little companies grew up. They got bigger. I know. <laughs> Speaking of doing this for a while, right? It's like, I don't know how you feel about it, but when I think back to just how early so many of us were in our journeys and in, in our founder journeys and that 2011 to 2014 timeframe, and then I look at where people are now and how many folks have had exits and how many folks are doing millions, if not tens of millions in revenue. You've walked alongside a few founders during, during those journeys as well. Yeah, absolutely. So all that to say, I feel like podcasting is a really important way to share ideas and kind of engage people's intellect, tell stories. And I'm really grateful that I've been able to do it. But I certainly don't think that I could stand on the foundation of, hey, I'm a subject matter expert without having spent a lot of time in the trenches. And I'm definitely not ready to leave that part of my work yet. Right. And that's the practitioner versus the 
the preacher, right? We have folks in the internet marketing space or the start a business online space that really have kind of never done it or have done it to a very weak extent. And then they come out preaching all this stuff like it's gospel and, and people eat it up. And you've never been that way. Well, I did go to seminary to be a preacher. But That's true. <laughs> different, different kind of preacher. Okay. I will say as I reflect on 300 episodes of the podcast that we have done more sort of personal sharing on the podcast than I thought we would, right? When we started and we started together, I thought it would be, you know, tips and tricks to beat procrastination. And our first, our first 10 to 20 episodes were very, were very like that. And I think I stand behind them. I think they're, they're really helpful and they offer really simple, basic strategies for folks. And then we did a series of interviews that were really fun. We did a whole series on couples who were entrepreneurs or were in business together. Then I did a bunch of interviews all about founders early lives. So we've done these different kind of creative segments of the, of the podcast, but us, you and I kind of sharing our journey over these years has been a part of the podcast that many listeners really like. And I think it, you know, if that's where they find their point of connection. Yeah. Like I, I was interviewed on a podcast yesterday and the hosts brought it up before we hit record. Like, oh my gosh, that episode is in Founder last week or two weeks ago where you talked about, you know, how many kids do I have? That was just so impactful. And I don't know who listens to Zen Founder and who doesn't, you know? And so it's just always, um, and of course you and I have a conversation. I know that it's going to go live. Like I know that other people will hear it, but I don't really think about it that much after we record it. And I think, yeah, that's out in the world now. So it, it is interesting when people bring it up. And I, I agree for all the episodes that you and I've done together, the ones that people bring up the most are those, are the ones where we're talking about what's going on specifically with our lives. I feel frankly pretty proud of those episodes because I think it is the role modeling part of it. You know, I've, I want to be able to talk to founders about their struggles and their mental health and how they keep themselves sort of duct taped together and stay in their businesses, even when their lives are in some chaos or when they experience hard things, which all of us will along the journey. And so the fact that we have decided to share some of those moments in our own lives, I think, you know, it's the, <laughs> I'm not only the owner of the hair club for men, I'm also a client or whatever that line is, but it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to own it too. I'm going to sort of tell the story of the hard thing right alongside the things that I'm excited about within my business. I'll be honest, it's hard for me. There's something about the vulnerability that is uncomfortable. And I always have a tough time recording those episodes, you know? I think they turn out good, but I definitely struggle to share. I mean, I, I struggled to record the, you know, the last episode two weeks ago about how many kids we have. Again, it's worth doing, It's a, but it's just a hard thing I notice versus... When I get on the microphone to talk about marketing approaches and answer listener questions or whatever, like it's just, it's all there and I know what to say and I know the next beat I'm hitting. And when you and I talk about those hard things, I'm always like, I don't know what to say next here. And I don't know how to express this in a way that either that is helpful and interesting and not dramatic, but it's realistic, but doesn't put me on the line too much. You know, it's like this challenging balance and it's just such a different topic to, to discuss. And your zone of genius is showing up for other founders with very specific tactics and insights that are actionable. I mean, that is kind of like your deal. It has been, whether it's your podcast or whether it's MicroConf or all these different. So 
to be in a place where you're showing up in a conversation about yourself in a story that's sort of messy and doesn't have any really wonderful, wrap it up nicely with a bow, take home points. I think, you know, that does feel very, that's very different than how you spend your professional time and energy. Indeed, versus you who are used to talking to people about difficult things. But I guess, you know, in in your consulting work, it's not like you're revealing a bunch of stuff about yourself. I mean, the typical psychologist, the training, you know, implies don't bring your personal stuff to the to the room. So how are those episodes for you? Yeah. Also like I charge a lot and the minutes are for the people who are paying me in that moment. They're not for me either. It's a very uh, set aside time for them and for me to be present to them. I think those episodes are, yeah, they are mixed. I think they are, again, I believe that they're valuable and I believe that there's a, a lot of kind of importance and integrity in sharing some of those stories especially given what I'm often encouraging other people to do in, in their own both vulnerability and in their own courage when they face hard things in their lives. But yeah, it definitely feels kind of uncomfortable. But sharing them probably isn't more uncomfortable than the experiences that are underneath them. So the fact that we've both maintained our businesses and, and grown and thrived in lots of ways while also having a few really rough years, I think is... I'm proud of that part of it. Yeah. And I, I think given what we do share, it's like I share a lot of wins or victories and I like to share the struggles. And I think it's disingenuous to not share some of the hard times and to not to only share when, it, when things are going great and to kind of not share the hard times. And then oftentimes, you know, I think some people go back and share the hard times in retrospect and then kind of put a positive spin on them or like, well, here's what I was thinking. And so it turned out just like I thought, or like, it wasn't that, you know, you, there's easy ways to retell the story and rewrite history without engaging the challenges of it or, you know, why you made the decision or whatever. So I think the victories and the failures and the struggles are all, I think they're important because it allows other people to connect with them right? It's, it's relatability of like, wow, I've gone through something hard too. And so have they. And this is perhaps good for us to know, you know, for us all to share in for this brief moment of solidarity or support. And the, the job of a podcaster is to be in service. So we share stories that we think will be helpful to others, whether it is that solidarity or like the, yeah, the, the me too experience of like, oh, I've done some hard things. But ultimately, the line, I think, becomes when your story takes up so much of the space and energy that you're no longer really mindful and thinking about what would be in service to your listeners, to your audience. So that's the line for me. I never want the show to be my moaning or my like venting or anything like that. It, 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 shouldn't, it shouldn't be about me. Not really. It's about the audience. Right. It's less look at me. And more, you know, look at what, here, here's what happened and here's hopefully what we've learned and maybe you can take something away from it too. Yeah, my friend Alexis explained this really well the other day. She she talks about people who walk into a room and one segment of people has this sort of like, here I am kind of vibe when they walk in the room. And then this other segment of people has this sense of like, oh, there you are vibe when they walk in the room. And um, I, I think I really want to be that, oh, there you are, like the person who sees the other people around me in all of their 
fullness and that my energy and my excitement is, is oriented towards not my own showing up, but the successes and the, the triumphs of the people who are the consultants or the folks that I work with in my consulting practice or the listeners to the podcast. I, I agree with that. I like that analogy. I mean, I think something I struggle with is the, oh, here I am people are the ones that get millions of downloads or millions of, well, you've had, I think you're well into seven figures of downloads across all episodes, but the people who get millions of followers on YouTube or Twitter, but I've always thought of it as like having this smaller, but much more real relationship with people or like a deeper connection. And maybe I'm just saying that to make myself feel better because Zen Founder, Startups, the rest of us, you know, all the podcasts we do, you know, they reach tens of thousands of people, but certainly not to the level of the, you know, the here I am, look at me type folks that maybe I see, you know, you see on social media or on the YouTubes. Yeah. I tend not to worry about that too much. One, I just can't be, I can't be other than I am. So for me to transform into that person, I think would be to lose so much of what makes me, me, that it would be unrecognizable. The other thing is that the podcast is an active service and it's something that I like doing. It brings me joy. It's a, you know, it professionally establishes a body of work. So it's, it's relevant and important. It does serve my business, but it's something that's offered as a gift. And so I don't actually track the metrics that we have. We have the download trackers installed. Like I could check it, but I never do. It's just not why I'm doing it. That's a, wow, what a healthy perspective. <laughs> Hopefully some of that can rub <laughs> off on me at some point. Yeah, but, uh, you know, 300 episodes, I do have to sort of think about what's ahead and what kinds of things I want to try or how the podcast will grow and change. I think one of the challenges I've had recently is I feel like I've talked about a lot of things. And so, you know, I was going to go do an episode on, you know, couple relationships among couples who are running businesses together. And I sat down to think about how I would engage that topic. And I, I was like, well, I already sort of did that. Like I already did a whole series talking to different couples about couple partnerships. And, you know, I've done so many episodes about burnout and burnout prevention so there's a part of me that's a little bit scratching my head of like, do I have to find new topics or am I returning to the old topics? Or, you know, how do you stay interested in the conversation when you've been having it for so long? I'm, I'm curious how you do that with startups for the rest of us. Like, cause certainly you're cycling through some of the same questions and conversations. Yeah, definitely. And See, some of your stuff is more evergreen, I'll say. it's You could literally go republish a bunch of the early Zen Founder episodes today and they would hold up like 100% without change. And maybe that's something you think about doing, about doing a refresh or a look, well, we call them microconf refresh episodes, but like a look back, a throwback episode where you give just an intro of like, hey, this is episode six of Zen Founder. If you haven't been listening for not, you know, eight years, you probably never heard it. And this is where Rob and I talk about blah, 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 you know, and I just wanted to resurface this. I've done that maybe twice with Startups for the Rest of Us. And I should probably do it more because with 300 or 600 episodes, a lot gets lost. You know, people might go back 10 episodes or 100 episodes, but they don't go back all the way to the beginning. And, and you're right. There is still a lot of good early material, I think, that specifically with your podcast that I think could be resurfaced. For me, my thinking changes over time. Like the same question I would have answered differently three years ago, six years ago, nine years ago, not only because I'm adapting and learning, but because the space is changing so quickly. 
And so talking about marketing approaches today versus five years ago, it really is a huge difference. The landscape is different. Talking about funding today versus five years ago, talking about sales and I don't know, there's all these topics that it truly is different. And when some people have asked, can you revisit this topic in this episode? I'm trying to think of a specific, well, there's one like startup masterminds, right? Mike and I went through and talked all about startup masterminds. That one still holds up. And I think we could just republish it today as is. There's really no adjustments. But when they do ask about how has your thinking changed on like pre-launch marketing or building a, you know, pre-launch email list, it's like, yeah, it's a lot different. And so I have a new take on it. Different strategies. That's right. Yep. What's cool is that today, like I'm thankful that the reason my thinking is still adapting is microconf and tiny seed, right? If I wasn't, to your point earlier, if I wasn't still involved actively in all these businesses, my thinking would stagnate to what my last experience was with it, which was drip, which is slowly getting further and further in the rearview mirror. You know, I mean, launching drip in 2014, that's eight years now. There's a lot, I guess we launched in 2013. So it's nine years. That's a lot has changed since then. So if I was still in that thinking mode, in that mindset, I would be doing a disservice to folks. That's OG, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know it's been it's been a while. So you have this old stuff. I think you should resurface. I think you could easily whether you, I mean, I'll throw you could do two start doing two episodes a week of one new content and one throwback episode, and do that until the throwbacks till you run out of them. Or you could just be kinder to yourself and not. <laughs> you could do a whole couple months of throwback episodes of one or two a week, and all you have to do is pick them out. You do the intro, and then you know you have the editor throw them out. That could be an interesting way to resurface those, those conversations. That could be cool. I've done very little republishing or reposting of old episodes. And obviously if you repost something from last year, a lot of people have heard it, but when you go back six, seven years and it, and it does hold up, I think it's, I think it's a good use. So, I mean that, you know, you're at 300, you're going to get to 400. I presume what other, are you going to do more of what you've been doing or do you have thoughts or plans on how you're going to change things up? You know, we've gone through several iterations of the podcast where, you know, you and I did it together for the first hundred episodes-ish. 200. Oh, wow. You really hung in there. I think the 200th was when you you were like... When you quit? No, when you kicked me off the podcast. (laughs) You were like, no, thank you, sir. Bye. That's not how that happened. You're like, I'm too busy for this. (laughs) Hit you on the way out. (laughs) Which is fine, right? The the shifting and the that helps it to not get stagnant. So having your partnership in it for those first 200 episodes, I guess. And then we did a lot of interviews during that phase. And then there was a, a period where I moved the podcast to every other week because I was very busy with some other projects and life. And I did a lot of solo episodes, a few interviews here and there. And it really was a practice in just getting it done, in shipping it. So there wasn't a lot of strategy. It was more like, ooh, I should do a podcast like tomorrow to get it to the editor. So I think this phase of the podcast, 300 and on, is to be much more intentional about how the episodes fit together and will probably be engaging more and more guest hosts or just interviews, but also some recurring guest hosts. Maybe you will humble yourself and come back every now and then once a month or something, because I really like being in, I like being in conversation with other people. I think that makes for a good radio. I also like doing them solo sometimes. I was going to say that makes sense what you've said, but my favorite episodes, I think, are your solo episodes. Yeah, I, I like doing them. They're very like 
thought-provoking for me. So those won't go away. Well, very nice. We've been rolling for a while. Should we wrap up? Any other thoughts before we say goodbye? No, I, I think for those who have been listening to the the show for however long you've been listening, thank you. You know, it's something that is really important and I really value that people find any value in what I have to say or share. So thanks for listening. I really, really mean that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.